0: Salad Days.
1: Welcome to the Salad Days podcast, which features interviews with your favorite artists, talking about their musical origins and humble artistic beginnings. Join me, Dave Ulrich, as we travel back to the early days, we'll settle in, Salad and we'll hang out for a bit. Our journey this week features our special guest, Charles Austin, from the band The Super Friends, Buck65, and more. So one thing I thought I'd uh, point out before we start this conversation is the connection between Charles and hip-hop generally. And the idea that uh, if you go back to the early 90s, uh, hip-hop was definitely not as uh, what I would call a uh, dominant cultural force as it is today. And it's so interesting that uh, when I asked Charles toward the end of the interview about uh, highlights he brought up his time playing with Buck 65 and Rich Durfry. and uh, I think there's this interesting element of hip-hop uh, threading through uh, his career even though you might think of him as that guy who plays the amazing bass in the Super Friends writes great songs has a very cool studio it was just a great conversation and here it is over to you Chuck Uh, so the reason I wanted to have this conversation with you, Charles, is that when I think back to Halifax, I think of the times that I would come over to your house and you would be listening to the Wu-Tang Clan.
2: Yeah. And uh, as we were discussing, I mean, that's the, some things never get old and the Wu-Tang Clan is still in rotation, although, uh, not really when my kids are around as much or, or even my wife you know, she likes some, some hip hop stuff, but yeah, it's more these days. It's like string band music and like Eric Satie, <laughs> you know, classical stuff that people can study too. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like, I'm I, like I'm I'm a, I'm a fan of uh Wu-Tang Clan, a lot of that nineties era hip hop. And I'm trying to get into some of the newer stuff, uh, you know, like Kendrick Lamar and um, uh, some, just some newer rappers. And uh, I mean, I'm always measuring them against stuff from the 90s, which is, I mean, there is some great stuff out there, but maybe it's just like when you first hear something, you know, really hits you like, uh, you know, De La Soul or Tribe Called Quest or, or you know, even stuff more in our milieu, like, you know, when we first heard Pavement or Guided by Voices or one of those bands, you know, like...
1: I'm the same way do you ever one uh, I was just mentioning this to someone the other day about uh the tiny desk concert as a as oh a, yeah as a way to uh and I recall I think it was a Mac Miller uh, performance that was re- I, did, I did I mean I'd heard of his story uh but uh, it was really good you know what I mean so it's kind of interesting that's one way sometimes I can connect with some I would say newer hip-hop or newer singer. absolutely
2: yeah the Freddie Gibbs actually like I was never really sold on uh Freddie Gibbs he probably won't listen to this so I don't have to worry about You know, getting mad, but uh, I was never I was never totally sold on Freddie Gibbs until I saw the tiny desk uh, Freddie Gibbs Mad Lib thing, and it's like so good. You know, just kind of changed my I like I like that because you see someone in the in the in the format where you can't if you're not if you're not bringing it, you can't really hide, right? Like if you're like yeah. yeah, yeah, it's funny too. I was watching it yesterday, and there's a couple of um, there's a band called Mamas Broke. They're actually from. Uh, Nova Scotia who are the daughter of a guy I know we used to look after his cat Mark McMillan is like a blues kind of blues uh, rock and roll guitar player from around here his daughter um oh man what's her name I her name might be Carly or something like I'm not sure but she they have a a duo called Mama's Broke who are excellent kind of like Appalachian type um you know, Gillian Welch type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, fiddle, fiddle, fiddle and acoustic guitar. But they, they made it to the point where they're on there, right? And They're, they're, they're like people. They, they used to busk here. Like they're, they're just, you know, local. So I was, that, that was a little bit of, a little bit of pride there. Hometown pride.
1: I love it. Okay. I was going to say, let's, let's, let's set the stage. Okay. Again. So tell us, uh, just tell us, introduce yourself. Tell us where you're joining from today and where you grew up.
2: Yeah. So I, uh, my name is Charles Austin. I'm calling from, uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, but uh, where i probably live for about over probably 35 years now. But I'm originally, I used to be apologetic about this too, but I don't feel so bad about it anymore. Originally from Toronto and um, uh, Owen Sound, Meaford area of Ontario where, you know, my, my um, grew up mainly in Toronto, but my mom uh, remarried and moved up to, uh, to Meaford when I was in high school. And uh, that's, I have friends up there. That's a nice part of the world. Not too different from, like, kind of reminds me of here, actually. Uh, you know, lots of apples.
1: <laughs> lots of apples. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, like the Meaford specifically and the valley here, like the, the Annapolis Valley, I find, yes. like, in terms of the scenery and just everything is very kind of quiet. I have quiet. fond yeah.
1: memories of doing road trips in the Annapolis Valley in our, in our,
2: yeah. in our yeah, yeah. car back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, and how long you were here for? What, like four or five years? You were here for a while, yeah, right? Not yeah. not
1: that long, but yeah, it was about four years. Yeah, yeah, in the mid to late nineties. Yeah, um, you
2: you know what it's all about.
1: I know a little bit, anyway. <laughs> okay. But let's 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 uh, let's go back in time, okay? So the 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 setup, the, the premise for this uh, this whole conversation uh, is to kind of kind of go back to uh, when you were younger, when you were a teenager, and yeah. uh, and say, okay, so I want to feel. Uh, almost like we're in your home on a Friday night and we can actually smell what was on the stove.
2: Yeah. When I was a teenager, probably the only thing that was on the stove was something that I made. (laughs) But if I go back, if we go back a little for it, like um, probably when I really like the memories of getting aware of music and uh, you know, like the kind of like all those kind of experiences, probably around, probably around 12. And uh, the, the favorite thing, my, my mom used to cook this like, just like a like a flank steak, marinated in soy sauce on rice, and I just like went crazy for it. That was my favorite thing. Yeah, it's, it's just kind of like a kind of middle class kind of you know. My dad was an accountant. My mom was like a was a teacher for a while, and then a librarian, and just grew up, you know, playing road hockey and you know listening to uh, AM radio. And, uh, you know, pretty normal, pretty normal Canadian, like, you know, I don't know about you, but like a, basically all we did was play road hockey. I don't, you know. Uh, yeah, I ice, was going to say, yeah. like, my,
1: my, you know, my my background is growing up in um, good old Oshawa. Uh, my, my father was an yeah. auto worker at the GM plant, of course. And yeah, like uh, my
2: cousin, my cousin, right? Like uh, Stuart Brawley, I think his, that's his family was doing that too. So that's a weird connection that.
1: I yeah, I don't know think I realized that Stewart is your cousin. I did not know that.
2: Yeah, Mike, because Mike, I it came out a, a while ago talking to Mike. That's yeah. Funny. So yeah, it's weird. Small. Yeah. So you're, and what year? You're, like, I was born in sixty nine. I might be slightly older than you, I think. Or yeah, I'm ni- nineteen seventy. Yeah. Oh, 70, Oh, <laughs> right on. Missed the <laughs> you missed the sixties, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah,
1: <almost. laughs> but but okay so but, but going back let's go back to the you know your house and uh my, my house you know I, you know, i had a huge family and, and one of my brother's friends left this uh, drum kit in the basement one time that was one of the first access that i had to some that's awesome musical musical instruments how did how did was there anything equivalent for you like that in the house uh either the, sibling not, music or no. access to gear
2: it was weird man like like when i was right before i turned 12 i just started like obsessing over wanting a guitar. And I think my parents were a little bit skeptical because maybe I had tried some other stuff and hadn't really gotten into it. But then they got me, um I think it was for my 12th birthday. This guitar, it's called a, a Lyra. It was like a Telecaster copy, a, Lira, a $25 Lira Telecaster copy. And I just got like really obsessed with, guitar and and like certain there are certain bands that were kind of like being played a lot on the radio then like rush and cheap trick and you know and if I got to be honest you know like lover boy and uh just like Ca- Canadian Canadian hard you can be like can- yeah I mean Canadian hard rock right just like bo- like riffs I mean I really really uh like just started getting just kind of obsessed with I, I think before I actually had a guitar this is a really weird thing that we did is we used to just mime along to uh, records, but it went to the point where I built like a, like a, a, like a guitar to strum out of like styrofoam or something like that. And then we, then I had like this, this uh, green uh, wash basin that I'd like get force my other friends to pretend to play drums on. It was pretty, it was pretty weird, man. Like, uh, and that, that wash basin actually ended up getting recycled when we started actually, when we had actual guitar, like when I had a guitar, then, I had a friend who would actually try to play that. We made like a mock drum kit out of that and like a tambourine and this weird like wine rack that we used as a symbol, which you can hear on. You might be able to hear it if on the thing we play today. You'll hear some of these.
1: To this, Speaking to the idea of gear, what pops in my mind is this one time where uh, we, so the, the early version of the band that was the inbreds was my friend mike and then my friend derek and then sometimes my friend dave and another friend dave but anyway uh, there was this one point where somebody had to sing and and mike you know became the singer in the band but i had this idea we needed we needed backups so i can remember Uh trying to rig up i essentially took a set of headphones uh ripped off just one of the pieces and then used a sort of cut a coat hanger to make (laughs) <laughs> on my neck almost like a like a harmonica rack oh cool and and the idea was i was going to sing backup i mean the, the gear my memory is the gear didn't work and i couldn't sing and i was too shy the whole thing was a disaster but that was a of yeah. equipment that we tried to make that's awesome
2: yeah well i mean uh what we started doing and this is pretty early on is we had um my family had two uh boom boxes right but one one was one was really good like the silver jvc boom box it sounded amazing. And one was this terrible little, just a little, like, crappy little, like, realistic thing with a tiny speaker. So, what we started doing is we'd do our bed, like, we'd we'd record, you know, guitar and, like, wash bass and drums onto the, onto the, the fancy silver boombox. Then we'd take that tape and play it. How the hell we do this? Uh, Yeah. Then we'd play the tape out of the shitty one and then sing along (laughs) to it and do the over, like, so it was, like, multi-tracking, but it was, uh, it was kind of a. It was a. It was not a great way to do it, right? Because it was all like you have these really loud, out of tune vocals, and you know the the music was really distant and kind of muddy. And but that was that was like I found a. a there was a friend of mine. Um. Well, I mean, I guess we get in this later, but uh, there's one specific kid that was also shared this passion, and that's kind of that's kind of my first. Uh, musical thing, but anyway, you know, it started off with just different kids coming over and and kind of miming along these records, but no one no one was serious enough to actually like learn how to try to play the drums until I met this one kid, Greg.
1: Okay, is Greg is Greg still? Uh, does he play music today? Do you know?
2: I don't think so. I, last I heard, he was he was in Japan, like working in Japan. um He was this kid who was very very like you know when you have you're in grade six and the teacher's like you know oh the best story. That I got this this uh, this year was written by Greg, and this kid would write like you know like like n- not like full novellas. Like had a crazy imagination and used to uh, used to make D- like D and D modules. But I it was funny. Like p- people ask me if I know how to play D and D, but my my only experience is playing with this guy, where I feel like it was somewhat rigged. Like every his character had like you know was it basically invincible and had like the sword that would you know cut through. <laughs> so it was like he's one of these kids that's very like. You know, when you watch, when I watch something like Stranger Things, I'm like, it's very comfortable terrain in terms of like being a nerdy kid in the like early 80s is like pretty. They, you know, I thought they they did a good job of that, and that's kind of that's that's pretty much the situation, like nerdy kind of D and D.
1: Well, I'll, I'll tell you this: uh, I went to I went to a family wedding uh, just in the last year, and one of the uh, features was you could actually book a table uh, to do. <laughs> D and D, there was like a you know an eight o'clock nine o'clock awesome. ten o'clock slot yeah it's like is it really is back
2: yeah well it's i mean i never even even as a kid i was confused and didn't really you know it's like it's like oh there's a you know there's a vampire you know he's, uh, what do you do you know you roll the dice and then someone says oh you're dead or, or whatever like it's not like it's based on it it's so kind of like uh, based on using your imagination in such a specific way that I don't think I ever really got the 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 hang of it. Right, like I think I had the I had the figurines, you know, I had like those leaden figurines, and I tried like painting. Yeah. Like I was I was like definitely interested in it, but it never it never really clicked. I um was th- Thankfully, I'm not I'm not I'm not dissing like D and D or anything like that, but like thankfully the the uh, the music stuff proved more compelling for me. You know, like. Even I mean, na- like now, like I look back and I'm like, okay, well, probably a lot of the stuff I liked was just combining, like you know, D D fantasy with hard rock, you know, like Rush and all that stuff is not really that far off from Dungeons and Dragons, or me- even 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 Metallica. I mean, like, call you know, some of the songs on uh, Master of Puppets are kind of like sci- there's a little bit of that fantasy sci-fi element. So I guess the two things kind of go in in our day, they kind of went hand in hand, right? Like the nerdiness of yeah I don't know.
1: Okay Metallica that's a good, that's a good segue to a question I like to ask people about. Uh, first times on a stage or attraction to a stage. so So one story from my world is so in in high school, we were, we used to goof around similar description of playing, like you described. It was Mike and my friends, and then in grade 13, uh, there was finally a chance for a Battle of the bands. We actually learned finished, essentially finished a couple of songs, and we named wow. our band the Fresh Steaming Turds. And we went into the uh, Battle of the Bands. Really just a very musical school, OCVI in Oshawa. Like a very arty kind of school. There's a lot of people that do actual jazz music and that kind of thing. So I would consider, I think we would have considered ourselves underdogs. But what I remember is getting warmed up to go the night of that show. And I can remember putting on uh, Metallica. I think it was nice. by the lightning in my room. I, don't <laughs> know, I, I wasn't like a huge Metallica guy, but I can remember that's how I kind of warmed myself up. And then we, of course we ended up winning the battle of the bands, which was, that's awesome. But what I want to know is, do you have, do you have a story like that? Either a first, first time on stage or something that
2: I got a weird, yeah, I got a really weird story actually. Cause probably by the time I was 15, like, you know, I was in Toronto and I, and I was, I was known as somebody who could play a bit of guitar, but not the extent of my ability was not really known. But I remember like getting a, a call once from this guy, I knew uh, Pete Warnica. And he was like, yeah, we got a gig at this like club. It's like a, like kind of like a hoity-toity uh, Toronto. It was like a tennis club or something like that, and it was basically like a bunch of like pickup, so, like p- easy songs, like you know taking care of business or whatever. But the singer, like I was probably 15 and looked about 13, but the singer was this kind of like guy it was basically like a male model, and it, so it was like a weird experience where. We're playing like, you know, taking care of business and we're just kind of hacking through it. And I'm like, don't really know the change, like even something like that, like kind of like kind of know where it's going or, and it's probably doesn't, it's not sounding too good. But meanwhile, there's girl screaming, uh, gathered around this guy who was pro- you know, way more kind of like physically advanced than the, the rest of the band. <laughs> so it was like an early lesson to like, he, like a rock and roll kind of like, yeah, the singer. You, you know, the cliche concepts like this, everyone's, everyone's interested in the singer, you know, it's like that whole, like the singer takes all the kind of concept, all the, all the attention, and, which I was glad not to be getting any attention at that time. Cause I was like super awkward and shy oh. and also, and also, you know, probably just barely holding it together on the guitar, like just terrible. So
1: <laughs> I can tell you one, one cliche <laughs> I remember from the Oshawa kind of music scene, which was just that, the same way that, like, if you're a drummer, you have to have a drum set. And if you're a guitar player, you damn well better at least have a guitar and probably an amp. But in Oshawa, if you were a uh, a singer, like you were going to apply your trade as a singer, you not you not only generally had to have some kind of looks like you just described, but <laughs> you you had to have your own PA. So not, you, you, I'm serious. You had to have your own mic and your own basically so that you could come in with your PA set up and sing. I don't want to jump forward. I just don't want to stay kind of in like high school, but what were, did you have some early experiences singing? And this could be a good setup to the track that's coming up shortly here, but
2: well, that, okay. I'm not, I'm just playing guitar on that track, which is good. Yeah. Which is, that's the guy, Greg Bevan singing that. I was not really like, I guess the thing is, is like, I was, I was shy about my attempts at singing. I still, you know, kind of something I still kind of don't really enjoy. Um, and I was al- I was always like I'm kind of like the like the Peter the Peter Buck who never found his Michael Stipe or something like that or the <laughs> the Keith the Keith the Keith without a Jagger like I love I love coming up with riffs and playing guitar but in, ter- in terms of singing it's always like okay now I got to sing now I got to change what I'm playing on guitar or bass and it's just hard to concentrate it's also like everyone's looking at you uh, it, it's it's just something I never I definitely probably if I was a better singer I probably would have been all over it but it just naturally just kind of what came out of my mouth was just not that it wasn't very appealing, you know? <laughs> so I was, I think I was, I was always looking, even from the age of 12, I was always looking for that foil, you know, like another person to to do the singing or like, I was always looking for people to collaborate with or yeah. So, I mean, there are some examples of me singing that are from that uh, around that age. There is one song that I is on this tape that I didn't, I didn't digitize yet. It's just like uh me singing um it's it's all, every the problem with the, try trying to talk about this this project that we had is like for some reason every song like had the, something about an egg in the title like this band was called Iron Egg.
1: Okay, okay, let's go to the next section. This from 1982. This is Iron Egg with I see I'll explain this later. I would call this song Postal Power, but I think you call it Postal Power. Here it is. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
0: Skim. I'm big and I'm large and I'm fat. I'll sit and squash your cat. I weigh a hundred tons. I roam the school with guns. I drive a shitty car. It never takes me far. You might think I'm docile as a lamb. One wrong word and wham, guess who I am?
1: I just have to jump in. Amazing track. Thanks, man. Really, really surprised me <laughs> in so many different ways. But I'm going to jump in on the title. Why did I say that? Because, again, going back to Oshawa, turns out that family best friends down the road are the Postals. And it's spelled exactly yeah. like the title of this song. Yeah. But, uh, they might so be related. What, what is How does Postal relate to Postal power in the title?
2: Okay. So our grade six teacher... God rest her soul. Cause I'm sure she's not around anymore was named Elizabeth, post post postal. Okay. So this
0: okay. is, this
2: is, this is our teacher in grade six who was actually a, like a, considering how bratty we were, like in retrospect, I think she was actually pretty cool, but we, uh, we wrote that song about her. Yeah. Well, I didn't write the lyrics. So this, this kid with Greg was almost a bit of a, like a, you know, like a, like a, a, a lyrical genius, but there was a bit of a, let's just say like a, a highly mocking, Element tool. Oh, yeah. To all, all, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is about her. It was just like something. It's it's funny though, man, because like that, you know, it's pre- pretty good student, but we literally skipped the last day of grade six to work on Iron Egg stuff. Like skip school. Like never, never done that before. And we were just like, uh, we don't have to go. Like we already got our report cards. Like we were just like, you know, we're just going to go work, like, work on these songs. So it's like a weird, like 12, you know, 12 is kind of this weird transition. It's also like, Right around the time my my um my parents got divorced, and I, it basically meant that I was like able to run for better or for worse. I was pretty much running wild for yeah. a couple of years there, so it was like, yeah, I want to skip school and work on this. Yes, like no problem, because like you know my mom was probably working, went back to work, and all this stuff. And it was it was it was it was like a really a probably really great time to like learn guitar and learn music. It probably was it probably probably wasn't the best time for like for someone like looking to become a responsible adult. But uh, (laughs) so it was, it was a weird, it was a weird kind of like a bunch of stuff kind of happened. you know, I got the guitar and then suddenly it was like, okay, you can, you have no supervision uh, or very little supervision. And so I just kind of like got into that. And um, so we did that. I think this Greg guy, we did the iron egg thing for a couple of years and then he moved to the States. So then, you know, by the time I was in like grade eight or nine, I think I was looking to do something else. And that that was that ironically, like in my high school, it was really hard to find people who wanted to do something semi-serious, uh, like either people I jam with. But it was like, you know, nobody was really even remotely proficient on the, you know, what I mean, it's like, to you know, just like even the proficiency just to get a tune together was kind of hard. So.
1: Talk a bit about the actual so the recording, just to understand, because of course today there's, and we'll get into it later. But of course what yeah. you do today, but I mean there's so many different ways to record today. But when you go back to 1982, talk a bit about the actual recording process, what you used for gear, and also yeah. maybe what kind of gear you're playing on the Just song. in case
2: people are trying to get that tone. Well, probably <laughs> that that would be that would be the first probably my first guitar, which is that lira. It was like a. a a Lero teleca- Telecaster copy with an F hole and uh, kind of a, not, not terrible guitars. Um, and then my amp would have been taking the guitar and then plugging it into like a little radio with an eighth inth, uh, input on it. Okay. So get getting that kind of like, which automatically it's like, you know, now like I'm, I'm always looking for stuff like that where you have like, you know, something that's not necessarily meant to be a guitar amp, but it sounds pretty neat. So that was the sound. Cause of course, like, you plug your guitar into a little radio and, and it's not, you know, the something's going on with the impedance of the signal where it's super distorted because it was meant to get a totally different kind of signal. So it was kind of like by, you know, the sound just kind of happened. Like, you know, it's like, you're a kid and you want to be kind of like loud and, and uh, wild sounding. So, but it, but just because of like not having like a real amp for a few years. Yeah. No pedals or anything, just straight in, straight into the amp.
1: I remember plugging but, into our our you know stereo right, and we had yeah. different ways of to use the headphone jacks and all that kind of stuff. Like,
2: yeah, I mean that's it's kind of like that's really fun too. Like, I still like, but now that I think about it too, it was like the fun. It was fun just like trying to messing around with stuff and trying to hook things up. Like we, you know, we had this two boombox system that we were doing, and it was you know it was pretty fun. So we'd play, you know, we we'd learn like whatever this kind of primitive idea of what we thought a song was, and we would play it, get it right record it into the boom box and then plan whatever overdose we're going to do. And you can, it's funny. Cause you can hear like a lot of time, like when the song has a few sections, you hear that sound of the thing pausing, you know, cause so we get to a certain point and like mess it up and then then you hear like the pause. And then I, I when I was kind of digging around for my cassettes, I pulled pull this thing out and there was another song on it called uh worth the Wait," which is kind of like a, a ballad. It's really oh, super funny, nice. super funny sounding. But um but it has different sections right so you can hear this whole like stopping the tape and uh,
1: when you do hear that song though and and you think like what what do you hear of yourself now you know you listen to it now you've got all this distance from it and the way you're playing guitar like what do you, what do you is there something you go yeah that's that's me you know
2: well, I can hear actually like in that one postal power it's probably. I think there's like a riff in there. Like there's one where it's like, it's like, it sounds to me like maybe chronologically might make sense that I might have heard a, like a police record, but I don't, I think I was only 12 at this point, but I remember cause this was the, this er first iron egg stuff was all like when we were grade six or like the summer after. So whatever the police 1982, if there was like there, maybe there was a police record that I'd heard, like maybe the second one, I remember them getting played on the radio a lot, but I, like, I remember like really liking them a lot and especially like Stuart Copeland, but Andy Summers too. I mean, but there's like, there's this police song called the truth hits everybody. I think. Okay, and I can, yeah. I kind of hear that. Like a lot of these times when I'm listening to iron egg, it's like, Oh, that's like, that's like fly by night. That's like an ACDC, like obviously filtered through like the, you know, very clumsy kind of the fingers of a, of a, you know, someone who's just learning how to play guitar, but it's like, I can hear some ACDC, some some Rush, and the, the the Police probably. And then like later later on, you can hear like like here, maybe I heard like the Specials or something. So there's like a really terrible attempt at Scar or something.
1: Let's move the uh, to the next move to the next section of the uh, conversation here, and and so we call it music becoming real. And so we're going to kind of jump up to you coming out to Halifax. Explain the story as we as we move into the beginnings of the Super Friends.
2: Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean. Pro, co- coming I don't know out if that's
1: of, jumping too much. No,
2: no, 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 not at all. Because, I mean, it's really like... It's funny, like, you're you're saying, like... Yeah, it is It is kind of crazy that... I, I still feel it was kind of crazy that we had something so... Uh, kind of c- coherent when we were that young. But then the next... Honestly, like the next six years or something, like I tried to do stuff and get things together with other people. And we had other joke bands kind of things, but they were never, it was like, I peaked peaked really early. <laughs> it took a while to get up again yeah, to exactly. something, you know what I mean? And even even people that were into it, like, I mean, that was, I think that was the hardest thing is just finding people that were really into it. So when I came out to Halifax to go to uh, King's College, uh, I met uh, Tariya Mata, and then I met people like Al Tuck uh, and Matt Murphy. And then there was this whole, it, the thing that's different about Halifax than growing up in Ontario, I found was like, you know, not only are there like 10 other guitar players, but they're all like better than you are uh, here or a or hundred other guitar players. Whereas in Toronto, it's like, there's maybe like in high school, there was like probably three or four of us who play guitar in a big high school, this North Toronto collegiate. And I mean, I was friends with a uh, my best friend in the music world was a goth and we didn't even like each other's he was like a Joy Division Bauhaus guy. And I was like Husker Du, R.E.M. guy. And he was like, yeah, we didn't even like the same stuff a lot of the time. But the the fact that we both like guitar so much was like it was it was a bond. Right. But then coming out here, it's like, Al, you know, I'll talk and those guys know all, like everything from like Miles Davis to like, you know, Bluegrass to stuff like that. And then there's like the uh, guys who later became Sloan have this band called uh, Kearney Lake Road, which are kind of like a Minutemen, no means no type kind of post, post-hardcore post angular kind of... They, they they were really great. I really liked them a lot. They were yeah. really ins- inspiring to see that because you see people live here. You know, you go to a gig at like a bar, you go to a gig at like the university and you'd see people you knew playing or people your own age who were actually like knew some songs that were originals. And it just seemed like a cool scene to... See, it, it seemed better than like being by yourself, like strumming guitar in your, in your dorm room or something. You know, it seemed like more just way more exciting so
1: So uh speak speak to the actual mechanics of of the way in which you connected with specifically matt and drew for example well you know was it at a gig where you guys just meet in you know ed on the street because because i know i over the years i've met a lot of people that are either trying to start a band or getting a band going in it yeah it's uh you know from my perspective particularly going to days in kingston it's it was just so important to just be out at the shows all the time or just like just be you know, kind of being out there and this is, you know, yeah. we're in a world where there's a lot less of that in every way, but definitely maybe musically people don't actually, you know, sort of like physically connect with people and talk. Uh, how would you say that you that that happened for you guys?
2: With Drew, it's just we we have to be in, going to university at the same time and we're in the same program and he had an acoustic guitar and he was kind of just getting into it. Which I, I I like to remind him of that a lot. No, I think it was for for a long time. He's like, yeah, you showed me how to play, but he already knew how to play, and I I showed him like a few a few things, but he picked it up quite quickly. And we did like you know we'd cover like Neil Young songs and stuff at coffee houses, and but then um, with Matt, Matt was kind of like this like as we uh, anyone who knows Matt Murphy knows he's quite good. He was kind of like the guy who I think I went tree. <laughs> this very this very nineties. Kind of story, you know, I went one summer, I went tree playing. I came back and the the band I, I played guitar and mandolin in with Al Tuck, there was like, oh yeah, we got, they got to, got to fill in. He's a lot better than you. So you're back on mandolin. And I'm like, who the hell is this guy? And then it's, of course it's Matt Murphy. And I'm like, well, yeah, he is a lot better than me. And um, I was just happy to know him. And we, we kind of played, Matt and I played in that ensemble and Drew and I had had a band um, in our second year university called Rhinoplasty, which was just like a, yes. Kind okay, of rock band that had uh this, but we had the a uh, drummer who was my um my roommate, this guy Chris Jonah, who was like a punk drummer, and then we had a guy from uh, Toronto who, Greg Greg Temeschenko, who actually uh had a band called the uh, Leather Uppers, that are kind of like a garage, like even now like they're still going, but in, in certain circles people would know, they'd be like a. You know, like the, a lot of people say that the White Stripes copied a lot of aspects of the leather uppers. They were like a duo with matching outfits and all this stuff, and they would have played that circuit, and they were really good. Um, so great. So we had this band that was very short lived, and then, um, then after that, that the right after rhinoplasty stopped, and the Tuck thing was kind of there's a lot of members, and it was kind of a singer songwriter, and or not, it was acoustic based, and Matt and I were kind of like, oh, we want to play some rock and roll, and uh, Drew. And Matt were talking about getting something together, and we had seen, you know, we—I remember playing Matt and I at his house doing hot knives or something, and like getting ready to go play an L talk show, and being like, you know, we we like, we get stoned before shows, and we wouldn't, you know, we we'd mess up and stuff, and. And that we were looking, we were talking about Sloan. I was like, "Do you think those guys get high before a show?" And Matt's like, "Probably not." <laughs> probably so it was not. like, probably <laughs> it was more like, okay, like maybe, talk, like you know, you're like 22, 23, like maybe, or I forget. We're probably about twenty three. It's like, okay, well, are we just gonna like do this thing that's not super, fo- like that's not our own thing? Because it, it, like Al had it was Al's Al's band, and he was a songwriter, and it was like a very like Dylan kind of type. Thing that he was doing and we were just kind of like well we you know we want to do something so it's more like i i feel like with matt and i it was like almost like we were like kind of like the these kind of side men dudes who were learning the ropes kind of kicking around and we're uh he kind of bonded together out of we were seeing our friends like doing really well and uh we were kind of like oh man we got to get something together like we felt like kind of like we were missing out or we were we were kind of um I heard someone describe that Superfriends band as like breaking away like the misfits that come together, and I that kind of it kind of is pretty accurate. I think we are all are like kind of a bunch of misfits who kind of banded together to do something. you although it might not be like super apparent if you just listen to music, but it's but uh, there was an element of desperation to it for sure. <laughs>
1: well, I just think there's always that element when it comes to the Halifax scene of the uh, of the shadow, do you know what I mean? Whether it's the shadow that Sloan put on Thrush Hermit, or put on you guys. And yes, everybody was so helpful, and uh, but there's always that element of uh, comparison. It's pretty undeniable. But you know, one of the things I thought with you guys was the way just I just the the, the musical choices that you made were just that little bit different and those those early really you know like your first first recordings were just uh just such a great uh, inclusion to the to the, the what the, you know the Halifax sound or whatever right like it definitely guys, yeah. like just that that slightly slightly different change on the dial and it and I definitely agree that first seeing Matt play and and having actually kind of there's a couple of times that Matt did actually play with the inbreds as a as a third person for I think just a couple of shows but the first time you guys play live right okay so uh, the situation for the inbreds was in Kingston college town. And we had, you know, you would have these kind of house parties, right? So some of the very first shows we ever did were at house parties. One was at my house. I'm at another house. And we would do, we do this thing called a Lemmy, which is you take huh. a grease pencil, take a grease pencil and draw a Lemmy mustache on. What do you remember about the very, very first shows of the super friends? And was it anything like that?
2: By the time that really got going, I, th- I feel like that the, the whole, like when you talk about, uh, Halifax, it, it was not a, a very normal situation because you had things like, you know, you had a club like the Double Deuce or you had like someone like Greg Clark who was booking these shows that we basically had, there was like an audience for what we were doing that was like ready-made because it was like probably everybody once, you know, once things started kind of going, I mean, it, obviously it wasn't like Seattle or anything, but you had people move like, you know, uh, Hardship Post moved here, uh, you guys moved here. You know, there's Thresherm at jail. Eric Strip from Moncton. You know, like between the Moncton. So when we when we went out to play, it was like, oh, Matt Murphy's got a new band, and it's got the guy from the guys from Rhinoplasty. and I think at that time we probably had Cliff Gibb filling in on drums. Yeah. So, so so there's already kind of it's like, let's go see. You know, oh, those are our friends, or or what of those. You know, those those guys don't deserve all the attention. Like either it's already like a thing, right? So we probably would have played the double deuce. And then just by the nature of like the Halifax scene, it's like, okay, well there's like murder records s- Sloan as a label. So it's, it's, you know, it's like, okay, let's get a let's do a seven inch. Let's do an uh, EP. Let's go record. I mean, we had access to stuff like, you know, we could go record where uh jail made a record in this house and uh, Aspatog in like an hour away from uh, 45 minutes away from the city with like Bradwood who did those Liz fair records. And then, They just left the gear out there for other bands to go out there. So Super Friends and Al Tuck, we went out there and made uh, our stick-to-itiveness cassette. And uh, with Al, I went out there and we made something called Brave Last Days. Yeah, so there's already like a bunch of avenues. So when I think of the first Super Friends shows, it was probably more like, okay, there's already like kind of a bit of a buzz on, and it was more about trying to live. It it was less about trying to get the attention is more like trying to live, like be worthy of the, the kind of attention you were getting.
1: But Carla and Lynette told a very similar story in the way that it's almost like you get washed up in the, the tide comes in and you guys are all getting lifted up. You know, it was, it was kind of an amazing time to, to, to behold from where we were. We were kind of watching it from afar, you know, certainly at the beginning and then coming in to kind of be part of it was also very cool. But um, you know, seeing you guys in Kingston, I can't actually think of where it was, but uh,
2: I do remember doing like a tour with. Um, we did one tour with Dave Marsh on drums. and We might have gone to play. Like, we probably played like, what, what was the university pub there or whatever? Like, like name name. Is there like what it was Poppers in Kingston or something? Or like,
1: that's a good, <laughs> We could we can make a whole segment on trying to guess the club name. Yeah. Exactly the same.
2: Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I just remember we did do a, a t- our first tour. Uh, maybe it was with. It was, I think we did a tour that was really weird, but it was really fun. It was like, it was us and Hip Club Groove, the hip hop group from. Uh, Truro. I was just gonna
1: say, was it with Hip Club Groove? It might have been. Yeah. The
2: show? yeah, yeah, because it was just like drive up to Truro in our van, and like these guys get in that we don't know, and then it's just like, oh, now we're friends, or we get along now, and but it was just like two different worlds. Like these guys, we were all like a couple years older, and probably a little more uh, what's the word not square, but we were kind of, you know, we were wearing cardigans. You know what I mean? Like we were, (laughs) were yeah. So probably, but, but the, the thing was, it was, we were lucky that there was the, you know, once we got going, there were actual shows. I remember I know actually our first tour was with Chris Murphy on drums and we bought this, this white van For like not a lot of money, but then the alternator, something major happened to it in like Sudbury or something, or that might have been, or maybe that was later with you guys on the tour. But I remember like trying to get to Thunder Bay to play, and the the band smelling like eggs because the electrical system was frying, and having to spend, you know as. The whole like touring Canada thing, like I don't really know if people talk about it enough. Like how I mean it is extremely fun, but how like little sense it makes is kind of incredible. Like when you really look at logistically, like driving from Barrie or whatever to Thunder Bay to for play a show for like forty people. Like it makes no it makes no sense at all on a logistical level. But if you I guess if you can not kill each other
1: I just remember so many different variations of that kind of concept, where you would so, for example, one time we would do shows, we we're trying to do shows all the way out to Vancouver and all the way back or Victoria, and where you would try to break it up with because you're trying to deal with those Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday nights, which uh, are in the winter often you're often touring in the winter too. In the winter, a different thing. Uh, but but then I remember we did a tour where we tried, okay, we're going to do all in a string, so it's like I think we went almost literally from Halifax all the way to Victoria, and it's so it's a straight string, and then as you get there. And then you just drive straight back. So it was like a seven day drive back. I remember doing that one time essentially makes no sense. I I remember that case. The only thing was like, you would have one good, you'd have a Saturday night in Vancouver and a Saturday night, maybe in Winnipeg and a Saturday night in Toronto, you know?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the strain, the, 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 like the level of like, if you're just kind of like coming from uh you know, background where you like, you know, the most, the hardest thing I ever did before that was tree planning, which was kind of similar in a way, but it's like the lack of money combined with the, the, uh, drive, the amount of driving, like it really is not for the, it's not for the faint of heart. Right. Like it, it, but, uh, I mean, it's also, but also like the, the flip side is like the humor when it actually comes together and stuff happens. It's like the most fun you're ever going to have, but there, we did a lot. Yeah. I, I think you guys did too. We did a lot of those long drives and just like, You know, Drew, Drew, still one of my good friends, but I mean, there was a lot of ups and downs. Like, you know, being in a van with someone for like, you know, when you, you you know, things have gotten like when you, when someone burps or, or farts and you know, who did it just by the smell, you're like, that's when it's, you know, it's gone too far for sure. For
1: some reason, the (laughs) story that comes to mind with your van and help me on this one, it's something to the effect of you guys came back from a tour and you had maybe that white, that white van. And then it was somebody, maybe a wedding or something like that. And somebody borrowed the van. And and they go to the event and they open the door, the back door, and a and like a a classic uh pee-filled water bottle like rolls right at the back door. <laughs> and down the road. Is that
2: <laughs> that's probably not that's probably not inaccurate. Yeah, because after a while, it's just like it's like we're not stopping or something like that. So it's like you just pee in a bottle, and that's a skill that I I I hone to a fairly. But I tried to I tried to at least get rid of them, but not 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 nothing to be really proud of. There was one drive in particular, like before the Trans Canada went across New Brunswick, I guess. Like the Plaster Rock Road. I don't know yeah, if you yeah. yeah, that was that was like there was some there was some some weird like you'd just be out in the middle of out in the middle of the woods and you'd see some some sign for like a strip a neon sign for a strip club off in the woods. Like there was something really kind of lynchian about that, like something kind of sinister. Uh I don't I don't I don't miss tour, like to like to put like once you know there's been a few times where i've done like short little tours in the last little while or just got of like PI to play a show and i'll be like one night of sleeping on the floor is like enough now and i'm kind of like after that i'm like yeah i'm good i don't have to do this for a while like
1: well i, I will say one thing i've got this one picture uh it's, it's almost like a photo collage that we took so so the the tour that happened the one time was it was us you guys in jail and that was where chris was chris murphy was on drums so i've got a photo of somehow before we started it's all of us it's oh, the yeah. entire group standing in front of I don't know, somebody's house and that is a nice. pretty classic shot because it just it captures that whole uh, you know, a very specific time. But what I, what I really remember from that tour and we went, there was the big Edge Fest show. I think it was oh, maybe yeah. the, finals, the final Sloan show. Yeah, the and then Sloan that show. was, yeah, and that was followed up with Chris not being in Sloan or uh, you guys needing a drummer. And we did this, and I think we started in, in and around Toronto and all the way at West. Um, but what I really, specifically what I remember <laughs> from that tour is being how enjoyable it was to get the chance to, you know, sort of watch you guys every single night. Those, I was really into your record and really into those, songs it was getting a chance to kind of hang out with you guys and you the way you said you know whether it's all that time before the show the time after the show maybe swapping people out in the van and that tour in particular but musically it was it was just amazing like i just remember like watching you guys every night i in my mind i was i was sort of learning the harmonies uh and and all the vocal style uh and just watching you guys play it was was really great
2: well i remember um i remember this is my story about the the uh, going to see the the inbreds i remember the first time you guys played what Birdland. i I remember you played two nights in a row and i didn't know you guys at all and i went down the first night i was like yeah that was cool then the second night i went down i smoked a joint and (laughs) i was blew my fucking mind like i was like that was i was like that just something about like the combination of like the simplicity you know this the fuzz the part like just great great songs but it really likes not a, like a fussy presentation and you're like, you're like beating the drums really like it's a loud band. And that, that was cool too. Cause it was cool to like, like something and not be feel like competitive, like in the way that like how, the Halifax scene there was a lot of like it was it was a little in a good way it was competitive but it was also you know what take it as you will like there was a, there's a two, there's a two-sided aspect to that right like so with the Inbreds because you guys were from Kingston it was like it was okay to like the Inbreds because it wasn't like competitive <laughs> you know
1: it- Oh. It, it definitely went when the first few times that we came out, you know, one of them was Halifax pop explosion and, and we had, a, we had an opportunity to get there. I think the very first time was with uh, the Rio statics. They took us out, out East and that would probably been our I think our very first exposure to the East coast, but Halifax in general. And, uh, you know it was just to come in and so for us at that time of course there was much music so you would have all these kind of uh, visual representations of whether uh you know whether it was the actual videos or this is one i was going to ask you about was the time that uh you guys played on um in studio and much music <laughs> but just in general <laughs> the idea of, of much music being like it had, it had this way of sort of elevating stature you know what i mean so yeah we came out and we would actually see all you guys it was like well, whatever. I can remember the first time, even, even Al Tuck was uh, such a celebrity to me. I just remember walking down the road. like, there's Al, you know? And (laughs)
2: it was great. Yeah. It was, it was really disproportionate amount of um, attention. You could arguably like, it's like, probably like there's a handful of people like, uh, you know, Peter Rowan, Chris Murphy and Greg Clark, and uh, probably a bunch of other people I'm forgetting that created this kind of, you know, like Chris Murphy had the, had the kind of charisma and the drive and the kind of wanted it just, you know, the guy was like, I wanted to be in. He, you know, he still is a rock star, right? But you need, yeah. you need, you need people like that. And you need like a booking agent like Greg Clark or like a a guy like Peter Rowan who sends your record to um, Geffen. And but then, but but the thing is, is like, just because there's like an Eric Strip and a Sloan it doesn't necessarily mean like in our case, it was like, we were like scrambling to kind of catch up or scrambling to be like, okay, well we have this opportunity to play. I think a lot of people got put in kind of pressurized situations, you know, like a band like, um you know, hardship post or jail, like they both, you know, they got signed a sub pop. That's not, that's not a very common thing to happen. You know what I mean? Like, no, no. I know got like, you know, a band like Kiwi jr. Signed a sub pop, but that's probably like their, their 10th band or something now. You know what I mean? Like, um there's a lot of you know because the way that the the way that the they were still like an anr system and they were still looking for like you know when the alternative thing happens like they had no idea what was going to work it's like you know if they're wrong about nirvana then they're going to be wrong you know they got to give everything a chance (laughs) so it it was an interesting time right like I mean, we but we both kind of, in some ways, both like both benefited from that kind of weird situation where there's like actual budgets and uh, labels and all these things that now, it, for that style of music anyway, or for the most part, don't really exist. Actually, you Not know to-
1: what? <laughs> I was going to say this is actually good. I'm actually going to already be mindful of time, so I'm actually yeah. going to go to the next section. We're gonna go. We're gonna go to. We're gonna go to flash forward and come up to now. In your case, I definitely want to cover. <laughs> some of the some of the things that you've of course done in the last 20 25 years like riffing off your thing you just said so one of the things about uh, music then and that the budgets and the money was this idea of actually recording in a studio i was mentioning this on um, one of the earlier podcasts is of course you know of course today you've got all these different ways recording on a laptop um, or if nothing else even if you're recording on a laptop a lot of people don't have access to what i would call an engineer or a producer and of course you got into production and you're still doing it today so talk a bit about uh, what it's like then and now to be working in, in music production.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's funny now because I kind of got into it almost like our mutual friend uh, calling because he was just like, you know, if you're going to keep doing this stuff, you maybe you just get some of your own equipment. So it, at the least at the end of the day, if you spend $10,000, you still have the gear left over. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. was also a, a little bit, I mean, like a, a you know, when I look at invested in a few years and playing in the band, and then I didn't really, you know, it's kind of like doing like a master's degree, but you come back and you don't have a piece of paper. Like it's a weird. Um... So I kind of came back from, you know, I was working in restaurants and stuff. Like, and then I came back after the band was kind of over and I was like, still, I guess I'll go back to my w- restaurant job and not really, you know, you're also, um, you want to keep doing stuff in music. So I just started getting in more into recording. And probably if I'd known what I was getting into it, I wouldn't have done it like you know at the, at the at the at the time, like I had that kind of like self assurance and you know someone in theirt- tw- still in their twenties like, oh yeah, I'll figure it out, yeah, it's more as you know what you know what you know what I think the most important thing is is like it's it's more like having accumulating like equipment that kind of can make something that sounds good enough that gives. Someone a like, like a like a young band or a young artist. Now, like you, you can have like say one really good microphone, one really good preamp, and you know an, a little s- a studio space where you can actually help someone to get to the next kind of stage of if they're serious. You know, you get to help them just kind of get to the next stage, like they want to play shows or they want to they want to get on you know college radio or go. You know, and, and it, it's 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 funny because you know it it runs the gamut from you know, the people I've worked with, you know, it's like everybody from, you know, someone like I I worked on a record with like Rita McNeil, who is already like very established. But then it's also like when I met uh, the people that later became all like always, I've helped Molly make her EP. Well, you you never know where it's going to go, right? I mean, I don't, I don't like I, you know, I think I saw them the last time they were, they played here and I checked in with them, but you know, I mean, that like it, it's a it's an interesting thing that you you know you never you never know how far someone can take something, and like someone someone's starting out like a young person, like you, like you know you might you know they might be uh, so you know just kind of someone who's just doing it for fun, or they might be someone who ends up becoming like a major kind of artist, so.
1: I have to make a uh, you know comment about the the Molly Rankin EP, and I've mentioned it to you in email before. But one of the things about that album, as it relates to Zunier, which is so wild, is that I, a great record. You know, you were you were involved in the production of that, and and it's it's a record that you know, of course, Molly went on to do all these amazing things with. Always, the actual album is on Zunir and it's been on Zunier for I don't know how, when when how how long ago it came out, uh, but 10 it came through twelve years or something. It's still there today, and I I believe Zunier may be the only place in the world yeah. you can get it it's been like sort of our bestseller for for I many bet. years running as a, as the a actual album and people buy it from all yeah. around the world I, I liked it when i first heard it and i still like it today and i like i like everything she's done and uh, i just wanted to make the other bizarre uh reference to the rankin family which of course was that we had a, the inbred side of mutual manager chip true character in 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 the halifax music scene also managed sloan
2: but yeah, he'd be an important. He, actually, he he'd be, he'd be a, of of the people I mentioned as being a important. You know, he actually made the business side of it work, which is a whole he other. Sure thing. did. Yeah. yeah.
1: But but one of the things that he threw us one day was he said, "The Rankin Family have a a video that they got to do, and they need somebody to play the band." Yeah. And so in the video, it's Mike and I, but we didn't actually play; we just pretended to play. I think
2: I guys. think I think I might have been asked to be in that video, and I was a dick, and I was like, "I'm not being in a Rankin Family video." But now, in retrospect, I'd be like, "Oh." All over it, right? <laughs> no, uh, anyway, that, so that's, yeah. that's
1: a big, uh, kudos on that record. I, I, I always, always, uh, yeah. Enjoyed well, that. I
2: mean, I think, I think it was, yeah, I mean, with that, that specifically, I think it's when she and, uh, Alex started working together. Like that, that was basically when, like, when they first met. So, I mean, in ter- I think in terms of the production, it was probably her. her I think he, he might mu- like, I think that was where he started kind of like producing her songs or they produced them together. But you know, at the time, I'm just like, this is another cool indie rock. Like, there's the other bands from PEI, like Two Hours Traffic or like, yeah, great band, you know. But yeah. Boxer the Horse or like the Danks. like, there's all these PEI bands that PEI actually had like a lot of really good s- stuff for the size of the 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 scene, you know. But uh, you know, anything anything you'd, you you uh... at the time, I was like, yeah, this is cool, but I wasn't like, oh, this this is gonna be. I don't, I don't think people really like when you look at always and I think it was like U S college radio is like, they were like number one for like 10 weeks or something. It's like, that's beyond, that's beyond the scope of like what Sloan did. That's a different, that's a completely different echelon. Like uh, in terms of like the kind of critical acceptance, the UK,
1: UK profile, European profile is, is,
2: yeah, it's, it's it's completely, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I I still, hopefully there, you know, I could be their roadie someday or something like that. But I mean, uh, (laughs) Yeah. And I, I, they, last time they played here, they opened up for a war on drugs and they were like, they sounded phenomenal. Like they're really, really great. I just, I just think they're really great on so many levels, you know, but, but, you know, for every band like that, there's an, there's another a hundred that at the time seemed just as promising or had, you know, there's um so it is funny that like moving into like getting older and just kind of seeing people come and go and like, it's, it's, you never really know who the lifers are and you never really know who the, uh, all you can really do is just trying to um, help them kind of get to the, get their stuff done in a way that's like an honest kind of representation of what they're. Do- well, am I doing? correct
1: that you, you really have made a life of music in the sense that you, you, you don't, I mean, you haven't really had an, a day job right since oh well um, you, well is, is, is here's the production i don't the, i don't actually know we haven't, yeah. we haven't talked in so long uh,
2: yeah i mean like the like the ugly truth is around that like around covid just i just didn't have any studio work and i, I was already it was already kind of like getting a little i just had a lot of tr- trouble with different um finding a, a space that was like affordable that didn't have a lot of like external noise like i had a great space for a while and then a the taekwondo guy moved in. It used to be tire storage and then it became taekwondo below me, so there's like yelling for like 4 hours a day. And that was kind of I had to move my studio a few times and then when covid started, I literally had like one session in like 4 months or something. So I started I started working over at Canada Post and I do that in the mornings pretty much um I just go and deliver shit in the mornings. <laughs> and then I go work in the studio and it actually was a really nice like uh, at first I was kind of like, Oh man, I failed. I, I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't make it, I didn't run the studio well enough. And, but now in retrospect, it's like not having the kind of pressure all the time of uh, trying to run a self-employed business, which w- was never really my forte anyway. But has been good. So, so a typical day is like, I'll go work in the morning and then like in the afternoon I'll have, do a session and do a session on the weekends or something. So I'll have like, I'll be at, be at this little studio probably like Probably four or five times a week. It's 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 kind of cheap enough now. Like I own all the gear now, so it's it's almost like the the heats off in terms of pain for trying to buy like a new console or yeah. So I did have a a lot a lot of people said to me like they were like yeah like you know often said to me like yeah hey, you're the only guy I know who just works in music all the time. But that as of like you know four years ago it's not or three years ago it's not entirely true.
1: Well, I, I envy the the commitment <laughs> over over the over the period because uh, you know for uh, myself yeah. I, I did you know I never I never even thought I would do music and then getting a chance to play yeah. and meet people like yourself and then sort of kind of checked out and got a di- you know got a day job but then I started the your thing which was kind of like a side hustle did that for yeah. you know a long time and, and it kind of it kind of got big it got small and then I did these music festivals so I've kind of been around but I've not been
2: yeah um, but I mean you have other skills right I mean like for me realistically like i was gonna to go to journalism school and the band kind of i decided to do the band thing and i mean if i had like i mean if i had other skills i probably would do other stuff but i mean really like i'm probably i the the skills that i learned are just like recording rock bands <laughs> and, and you know and arguably like i mean I'm, like i'm okay at it i'm not like steve albini or anything but it's it's more um if, if i could like write a computer program or something like that i would but i don't i you know i know people who do other stuff and play uh you know there's one band that i do a lot of work with and the league guitar, guitar player is pretty good and he's like a marine law lawyer and i'm kind of like wow that's really like that like he's at least as good a guitar player as i am so i'm like okay you know you don't have to necessarily devote invest your you know if you have the talent or whatever the interest it can just be something you do on the side
1: but uh, the, the other uh the other record i have to mention because i'm about to ask you about career highlights but is uh, the lost wax skilled record is one i've got this one little uh it's like an old ipod that i have a bunch of stuff that i basically can't take off like it's yeah. sort of stuck on there for all time and lost wax skill is one of those records ah. and so i listen to it all the time and have for many years since so, <laughs> since you did cool. it Yeah, it's just another another uh, highlight of mine that you've done for sure.
2: Oh, right on, man. Yeah, I mean that that was just my attempt to make like a record, like a Sparkle Horse record or something. And the the thing, the thing about that is honestly, like, I was probably like, that's probably as good as I like. Although now I listen to it and I was like, oh man, I changed this, this, this. But at the time, you know, when you've done something, you're like, I can't do it any better than that. Like, and that's that. That's one thing about art that's weird is like when you do something. As well as you can, and you know it still has a ways to go. It's like I, I think it's kind of why I like working on other people's stuff more than my own, <laughs> you know, because you don't get that same feeling of like, okay, well that that line was out of tune, and the da da da. That you know that guitar sound is critical. You, you, you get very self critical, and I think that that was a road that I, I probably, fortunately, I didn't go too far down, you know. Because, but you know, uh, but I I do I did did enjoy. I, I still have a few projects, but I'm like, I just took myself out of the singing equation. And I think that's probably for me is the the best way to go is just to like, always be working with a singer. And then, then I can like, I have way more objectivity about, you know, a guitar, a guitar tone is not, you can always change your amp, but you can't change your, like your larynx or whatever. <laughs>
1: Hit, hit me with like a, a musical career highlight that really stands out, some, or something that you're really proud of that you've done, whether that's what you're playing, you're recording, or both.
2: Well, I mean, probably a career highlight for me was more like because I got to go to... I played with... Um, for a couple of years, I was in uh, Rich Fry, aka Buck 65. I was kind of like the... One of the people in his band and kind of, right, uh, yeah, I, I wrote wrote some of the like on there's a couple of records where I did a lot of the, like the writing of you know, it was, he wanted to move more towards like a from hip hop to more like a Tom, it's, it's like Tom Waits meets Flaming Lips type sparkle horse, those are the kind of conversations we would have, but anyway, as a result, I got to go. We did a tour, and um, you know, because you know, with the Super Friends and stuff, we it was always like, okay, we're playing the you know something deli in Waterloo and, you know, they're going to give us a case of beer. Like even, even at the, we, you know, we got to a certain point, you know, we played, you know, we played the opera house with Thrush Hermit and we got to a certain level, but when you go to Europe on a festival thing and see that, that I got to see like, I saw the Pixies in France. I, I, you know, we played played right before television at Glastonbury. So I got to watch. You know, saw Tenero in a f- same festival in France. Like, just like, Great yeah, cr- just like really crazy. And to kind of see, like, it's like, oh, okay, that's that's where you kind of like, if you stick with it, like, that was that was like a peak at that. That was a peak at where where it could have gone. And that that was it. Was just nice to kind of look over the fence a bit and just enjoy that one trip where I got to see. I saw, you know, I saw super grass, you know, all these great bands and it's, it all, it also kind of realized, you know, okay, that's what it takes to actually do this. This is like, you're going to be away all the time. You know, I had a kid, my older daughter is about four. So you're just gone for like three weeks or something, but that was a real highlight to go over, over there and just, even if like musically, like, I think we did okay. We were, we were pretty good, you know, um, but, uh, it was kind of the beginning of um, it. It was just kind of realization that you know there there's such a thing as like getting to another level. Although I did, you know that was the only <laughs> that, that was pretty much the only taste of it. But uh, it was it was nice to experience it once for sure.
1: Uh, let's yeah let's, let's move to the uh, sort of the, the 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 final question in the in, in, this is in the theme of course of of like lessons from the. Yeah, the journey that you've had. So if you could go back in time and speak to your younger self in 1982, that guy playing guitar on that song, what would you say to that person about, about the idea of making it in music, given what you've, you've done?
2: I'd say if you can separate, if you can figure out a way to separate the financial side from music. So you're not any kind of anything artistic is not influenced by a financial decision, then that's probably the best place to be. I mean, a lot, a lot of things, you know, you kind of read about like, say like the punk, you know, I used to read articles about like Husker do or something. It's like, we're never going to compromise or like, it's all about like not compromise. And it was always like, wow, that's really like inflexible or something. But it's like, if you could figure out a way to make the music or the art that you want to make without any kind of considerations of like trying to please anyone other than yourself or your, I, it's something to really be said for that. Like, uh, and um, I think I, I think I got a little bit when I was trying to run the st- studio full time and working on certain types of projects, I ended up working on a lot of projects. I sh- probably shouldn't have, you know, uh, that weren't really my forte, you know, like kind of like just be able to work was the main thing. And, and now that, you know, I have like kind of like a date, like a, a job that kind of takes care of that. Um, you, you can kind of pick and choose a bit. So I just say like, stick to your, whether, whatever, whatever kind of music that you'd like, just stick to your, your guns in terms of like, it, the worst case scenario, you're going to make something that you like if you can kind of stick to your, your artistic guns, so to speak.
1: Okay, the wise words of Charles Austin right there. Going out with the song Nothing Gets Me High from Tangerine Flake. And this is one of the albums you can uh, check out in the show notes, including his amazing album from the early days of Zunior called Lost Wax Guild, highly recommended. Of course, going back, the his early song from his band Iron Egg and the song Postal Power from 1982, earlier in the episode, amazing. Just want to say one final thanks to Charles for joining us here on the Salad Days podcast. And if you go in the show notes, you can learn about all of the great things that Charles has been doing. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. Those are some great stories from Charles. Thank you, Chuck. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe, like, and tell all your best music-loving friends about it. Today's episode was brought to you by zunger.com and me, Lemonade Dave. I've done a lot of things in music over the years, but these days I mostly make bottled lemonade by hand in Prince Edward County. I'm going to crack a cold one right now. But if you're ever in PEC, be sure to ask for it by name and tell them Dave sent you.
0: Just look it was summer. It was sunny. It was hot outside. I took the car to get a washed and then go for a drive. What I remember about this lemonade and all the rain. So I went looking for the one and only Dave. Now I'm hooked and every day I need at least a drop. If I can't get it fresh, I buy a bottle from the shop or send a friend and I tell him carefully, don't play with my lemonade. Just look for the D. Play with my lemonade. Play with my, lemon, play with my lemonade. Just look for oh, the Play with my lemonade. Play with my, lemon, play with my lemonade. Just look for the D. Play, play, play with, play, play, with my, play with my lemonade. Just look for the blade with my lemon, blade with my lemon, blade with my blade with my lemonade. Just look for the D, look for the D, look, look for the D, look for the D, look, look for the D, look for the D, look, look.